While seeking the Lord's blessing, we would like to return to Numbers chapter 24, and we shall look at this chapter in its totality. The title for the meditation is basically a copy of what we call the previous sermon on Numbers 23, where we have marks of a false prophet Three. This is the third time that we've looked at Balaam. Just a brief introduction might help us if we're not familiar about where we are. We have been going through the book of Numbers, and we will hold our hands up and say that this book is not well known among us. And that's one reason why we have tackled it. But we reached this part chapter 24, and we notice that this chapter and the previous two chapters are concerned about a mysterious individual in the Old Testament. The individual mentioned is Balaam, and if we call him a prophet, we are not exactly being accurate, because the New Testament would call him or liken him to a false prophet. And therefore, that's what he is. He, he is a false prophet. And he masquerades as a genuine prophet, but he's not. And we have been looking at chapter 22 and 23, and now 24. And tonight we want to finish our study on Balaam. Balaam was a very mysterious character. And we might wonder to ourselves, what prophet is it that we look at someone who is a false prophet? Well, what's true of a false prophet can also be true of a false professing Christian. This man here would claim to believe upon the one true and the living God. And he would claim that and he will be able to back it up, that he had intimate knowledge of the God of heaven. But he proved ultimately, finally, to be apostate. He wasn't the real genuine article. And therefore we have come to look at this in order that we would humbly examine ourselves. We remember what the Bible says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. And that describes my heart and your heart by nature. And therefore we are to be vigilant regarding these things. Now, Balaam was a notable prophet, in inverted commas. He was a notable person, and he was known in that area And a king called Balak, who was a king of the Moabites, he called upon Balaam in order that he would curse the people of God. Now, the people of God were just beside Moab and his people. And King Balak assumed that 
God's people who had come out of Egypt were going to overrun his land and destroy the Moabites. And Balak didn't want this. And he called upon Balaam that he might then curse the people of God. And he went to a great length and a great expense and promised Balaam that he would reward him with material wealth and honor if he would just come and curse the people of God. Well, Balaam came, but he wasn't able to curse the people of God. Instead, he did the exact opposite. He blessed them. And the last time we looked at chapter 23, we noticed that, first of all, he offered seven sacrifices on seven altars. And right away that would warn us, because there's one God, and the people of God had one altar. But here was a man professing to know the one true and living God, yet he was offering sacrifices on seven altars. Something that was not right at all. Anyway, he offered seven sacrifices, and then he gave a prophecy, and he didn't bless the people of God. Balak was not very happy about this. Balaam tried it again, offered seven sacrifices, offered a prophecy. Again, this prophecy did not curse God's people. Instead, it blessed them. He offered another set of seven sacrifices on seven altars. And that's where we ended off chapter 23. And as we go into chapter 24, we find him then issuing his prophecy after offering the third set of sacrifices. What can we note then about this before we want to look at some lessons for ourselves? Well, the first thing we want to notice as we introduce this is Balaam never sought the Lord at all. Verse 1 tells us, And when Balaam saw that it pleased the Lord to bless Israel, he went not, as at other times, to seek for enchantments, but he set his face toward the wilderness. On previous occasions, when he offered sacrifices, he said, I'm going off to a quiet spot. And I'm going to seek the Lord. I'm paraphrasing what he said, but if you go to verse 3 of chapter 23, you'll find it exactly what he said. Chapter 23, verse 3, And Balaam said unto Balak, Stand by thy burnt offering, and I will go. Peradventure the Lord will come to meet me. And he was telling the people all the time that after the sacrifices were offered, He would go to his quiet spot, he would go to his closet, and he would expect the Lord to draw near to him as he would draw near to the Lord. Verse 1 of chapter 24 tells us exactly what he did. When Balaam saw that it pleased the Lord to bless Israel, he went not, as at other times, to seek for enchantments. When he was disappearing and going to his quiet place, He was involved in some kind of magic arts. The Bible doesn't elaborate, 
Doesn't tell us exactly what it was, but he was not seeking the Lord at all. He was involved in black magic, evil. That's what he was involved in. And he never sought the Lord at all. He was a complete and utter imposter. Now this happens today, friends. There's a great interest in mediums and psychics today. I noticed something, I think it was last week, on Facebook. There was this lady up north, and she said something like this on Facebook. I'm going to hold a supper, and I'm going to invite a psychic to come along. And I want to know, is there an interest in this before I would organize it? A large number of people responded positively. And without being in any sense sexist, most of the responses came from women. Yes, happy, delightful. And they were tagging other people into the responses. Yes, I'm up for this. This should be interesting. There was a number of responses like that. Someone put a comment. Like words to this effect. If you're going to invite a psychic to an event. Why don't you ask them first of all. If the event is going to be successful. Why don't you ask them? They're supposed to be able to tell the future. Surely they can tell if an event is going to be successful or not. There wasn't much response to that. But the point is, friends, that people are dabbling in this kind of evil. We might dis- dispense with it as nonsense, and to some extent it is nonsense. Seances horoscopes, palm reading, you know the things I'm talking about. This is what he was involved in. It's a complete and utter sham. It is nothing but soothsaying, and it is nothing but uh, a money-making racket. And there may well be people who are influenced by this. There's a great hunger and thirst in people today concerning the spiritual world as they see it. Well, if we want to know the future, friends, we need to know the God who holds the future. And the only way we know the God of the future, who holds the future, is through the Lord Jesus Christ himself. That's how we know. God is the one who not only knows the future, but determines the future, who holds the future. And we're not to look at any of these charlatans, horoscopes. Some people consult these things daily. Palm readers, you know what I mean. I don't suspect anyone here is involved in that, but you never know. You never know. We live in a time and a day and an age when things will not surprise us. But this man here never sought the Lord. He was consulting evil powers. And this is something that the Bible forbids. Well, 
He goes on. He sees his vision. And basically, friends, we would notice he gave two parables here. The first one is basically concerned with Israel in the here and now, or almost the immediate future. And what did he see? He saw Israel basically in peace. Verse 5, How goodly are thy tents, O Jacob, and thy tabernacles, O Israel. He was looking at Israel as they were gathered around the tabernacle. And we studied that some time ago, how the tabernacle was a very central point in their camp. And all the tribes were gathered around in their proper places around the tabernacle. And this is what he saw. And remember, he was looking at the wilderness there, but he describes it in very picturesque language. And this is something that you have to to realize and grasp when he's talking here. He's talking in in prophetic language. But he's, he's seen a desert, and he's seen these people in the desert. But how does he, does he describe it? Verse 6, As the valleys they are spread forth, as gardens by the riverside, as the trees of line all alloys, that's uh, talking about fragrance, which the Lord hath planted, and a cedar trees beside the waters. That's talking about stability. He shall pour the water out of his buckets. That's talking about blessing. Wherever he's going to go, he's, he's got two buckets, probably a pole, and two buckets, one on one side and one on another side. And as he's walking, what's he seeing? The buckets emptying out. It's blessing wherever Israel will go. Blessing is following as they walk on. And his seed shall be in many waters, and his king shall be higher than Agag, and his kingdom shall be exalted. If you're switched on, friends, if you're thinking, Israel hadn't got a king at this time. They hadn't got a king. But he saw them one day that they would have a king, and they would be great, and they would be victorious, and they would be glorious, and they would be settled. At the moment, they were in the wilderness. But this is what he saw. This is the vision he saw, that they were going to be in safety, they were going to be prosperous, and even more than that, the vision goes on. God brought forth, God brought him forth out of Egypt. He hath, as it were, the strength of a unicorn. He shall eat up the nations as enemies and shall break their bones and pierce them through with his arrows. What's he talking about? He's talking about warfare. This company of people that he sees in a pleasant place, prosperous, fruitful, yet they will be successful in military combat. Is this what Balak wanted to hear? Far from it. He wanted Balaam to come and curse his enemies in order that he might destroy them. But there was no way, because they were the Lord's people, and they would be prosperous and fruitful, and they would be absolutely victorious. He saw Israel as a conqueror. In times when the church of God is 
languishing in our day and generation, friends, we have to encourage ourselves. And we have to see a a broader picture. We have to see a panoramic picture. We have to see see the long-term view. Here we are, a handful in the house of God, when in former days there would have been far more. We can be despondent. We can be discouraged. But no, we should not be. We must have the long-term view of all things. And we must recognize that as Israel here in the flesh, they were going to go into the promised land. And Balak and the Moabites and the Amalekites and all of the other people would never be able to overthrow them. God had promised them the promised land. It was theirs. And God was going to take them into it. And no false prophet would be able to curse the people of God. That's what he saw. And he was a faithful in the sense he delivered the vision to Balak. And you can imagine the reaction that followed. He's dismissed. And Balak's anger was kindled against Balaam. Verse 10, I'm reading from. And he smote his hands together. And Balak said unto Balaam, I called thee to curse mine enemies. And behold, thou hast altogether blessed them these three times. He's had enough. It's enough. Go home. You're not what I wanted. You don't deliver what I need to hear, what I wanted to hear, what I was going to pay you for. We're finished. The contract has is over. We're inclined to believe that Balaam did not actually leave. He may have left temporarily. Verse 25, the last verse. And Balaam rose up and went and returned to his place. And Balak also went his way. Now, whatever they went to, he didn't actually leave the Moabites. He may have went to a place he was uh, residing in temporarily, but he didn't actually leave the vicinity. Why? Why? Why do we know this? Well, later on in Numbers, we'll come to it, but I'll read the verse to you in, ver- in chapter 31. In verse 8 of chapter 31, we find that the people of God, the Israelites are fighting against the Moabites. And in that verse, there are are a number of people that have been killed by the Israelites. And the end of the verse, it says, Balaam also, the son of Beor, they slew with the sword. So he may have left temporarily, but he came back. And when the Israelites went into the land and they fought with the Moabites, There, Balaam met his end. Well, before that, though, he is like a preacher who doesn't know when to draw his sermon to a close. Because as he was dismissed in verse 10, he defends himself. Verse 12, for instance. Balaam said unto Balak, Spake I not also to thy messengers, which thou sentest unto me, saying, If Balak would give me his house full of silver and gold, I cannot go beyond the commandment of the Lord, 
to do either good or bad, or mine own mind. But what the Lord saith, that will I speak. So he defends himself. He basically says to Balak, I told you, I can only tell what the Lord will give. So he is defending himself. But before they part, he gives another prophecy. And this prophecy has a long-term implications. The first prophecy was more concerned with Israel's immediate success and prosperity and conquering. This time he's looking really into the future. And some might say it's not just to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, but to the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Certainly the second part, the second prophecy that he utters here, <coughs> is taken up with Christ. Verse 17, he says, I shall see him, but not now. I shall behold him, but not nigh. There shall come a star out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel, and shall smite the corners of Moab, and destroy all the children of Seth. And so on. And the second part of this chapter is basically taken up with this second prophecy that he sees. And it's all related, ultimately, to the Lord Jesus Christ. Some people might say that it was partially fulfilled in, in the, the days of David and in the days of Solomon, when Israel was, was a strong nation and they defeated all their enemies. But ultimately, the full fulfillment is found only in the Lord Jesus Christ. He speaks wonderfully of him. And some of the things, the people he mentions there, the nations that he mentions there, they were all going to be destroyed. And indeed, they were. We want to draw one or two lessons from this chapter for ourselves. Because we have come to this, this three chapters and we have been looking at the marks of a false prophet. And we see some more marks here in this chapter for our edification. What then can we draw? Well, first of all, Balaam had pious aspirations. He had pious intentions. He had good intentions, or at least he stated he had good intentions. And we want to go back maybe to chapter 23 to verse 10, for instance, maybe to look at this. At the end of verse 10 of chapter 23, we have him saying, Let me die the death of the righteous, and let my last end be like his. A great ideal. He notices something about the Lord's people. He notices the way they live. He notices how God has blessed them and that they can look forward to life after death. Death is not the end to them. And he wants to die like the people of God. Let me die the death of the righteous and let my last end be like his. This is what he wants to enjoy. And I'm sure that we would say all of us would like 
to die the death of the righteous. And indeed, I'm sure it could also be said for multitudes outside who never go to the house of God, who never worship God, who never give God a thought at all. But at the end of the day, they would love to die the death of the righteous and to have the hope of the righteous. Well, Balaam was that kind of individual, and he was able to articulate it. He had pious aspirations and intentions. He wanted to die properly. He wanted to know the blessedness of that resurrection. Because one day, friends, there will be a resurrection. We know that. How do we know that? We know that because Jesus rose from the dead. And because he rose, everyone shall rise the righteous and the unrighteous. But as you know, pious aspirations are not enough. It's not enough to have good intentions. We are to strive. We are to struggle. We are to press on into the kingdom of God. Does the Bible not talk about taking the kingdom of God by violence? We are to be active. We are to repent. We are to have faith. We are to call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are to cast ourselves upon his mercy. That's what we are to do. It's not enough just to be, say the right words. We, have, we must have more than a simple mindset. There must be action. And there must be action that is in conformity to the will of God. Another thing about Balaam, he was highly favored. What do we mean by that? Well, he was highly blessed. Ba Balaam and these chapters are not easy chapters for us, but there was a difference this time in chapter 24. Verse 2 of chapter 24, where it reads, And Balaam lifted up his eyes, and he saw Israel abiding in his tents according to their tribes. And notice, and the Spirit of God came upon him. That didn't happen to him before. When he prophesied before, that didn't happen to him. But here the Spirit of God came upon him. He had some kind of spiritual experience. An experience may be similar to Saul, King Saul. It, it, there, the Bible talks about the Spirit of God coming upon King Saul also. But King Saul was never converted. He was never a child of God. Yet the Spirit of God came upon him. And exactly the same thing happened here. He was highly favored. He had wonderful spiritual experiences. Yet, he did not know the saving grace of God. What else? Balaam prophesied about Christ. You know, some preachers rarely speak of Christ. It's very interesting, friends. You hear someone preach, and sometimes their sermons don't include Christ at all. Now, some parts of the Scripture are much easier to preach Christ from than others. 
And it's not always easy. We're not going to say it is. But Christ is to be found in all the scriptures. Balaam, a false prophet, prophesied about Christ. You can read that in verses 17 to 19. He is talking about the Son of God. He's talking about the Messiah. He is telling about this great and glorious person that is to come. Yet he didn't know this person. Yet he was a stranger to this person. Yet he was able to talk about this person and prophesy and preach about this person. People may speak bountifully and truthfully and profusely about Christ, but have no real love for him. That's a very sobering thought. Some people are great talkers. Other people are not so great talkers. You know, when we receive the Spirit of God and we're born again, it doesn't change our personality. Sometimes we can be very quiet and other people can be exuberant. The new birth doesn't change a person's personality. If you were reserved before, you'll always be reserved. If you were exuberant before, you'll be exuberant now. And some people think that just because they speak about the Lord Jesus Christ, that they must be right. It's not the case. Here was a false prophet speaking by the Spirit of God about Christ. Yet he was false. What else can we say about him? (laughs) Well, Balaam was useful for the people of God. Here we are tonight. We'll be looking at these three chapters over over the last three Wednesday nights almost. We have learned something about human nature. We've maybe learned something about our own hearts. We've maybe examined ourselves as a result. Balaam is good for the people of God. His prophecies were true. He himself wasn't true, but what he said was true. And we will benefit by studying his life and his prophecies. Balaam was orthodox, but had little true understanding about God. This is a difficult one. He was able to talk about God. He's not a man that he can lie. He was able to be intimate with God. And he was, his Prophecies, what he said, his doctrine, was all orthodox. But he didn't really understand the basics about God. Now let's be careful here. None of us can fully understand God. God is, in one sense, incomprehensible. We'll never understand God fully. But we can have an understanding of him. And that understanding can be true. And it can change our lives. And it should change our lives. But he was orthodox. And it didn't really change his life at all.
Balaam was also an enemy of God's people. Why do we say that? Well, that's quite clear. It's not a difficult one, this. He was out to curse the people of God. He was out to destroy them. Therefore, he's a great enemy. And that's what a false prophet is. He hasn't really got God's interest or God's people's interest at heart at all. And he can masquerade as if he has, but he doesn't. And it can be very difficult to discern. It takes discernment, spiritual discernment. Another characteristic about Balaam. He had great desires for money and honor. That's what motivated him. He wanted Balak's money. He wanted his Balak to fill his house with his money and to give him honor. These are things that motivated him and drove him to do the things that he did. Money and honor. And you will find that if there's a false prophet around, this is what they want. Prestige, honor, men's honor, money, filthy lucre. Lastly, we would notice Balaam had great subtlety. The Bible tells us that Satan can masquerade as an angel of light. Balaam was able to do that. But his actions contradicted his words and his theology. His words and his walk were not consistent. These things are a challenge to us all, friends. We don't all occupy the pulpit. We can't be charged with being false prophets in that sense. But we might be false professors. What can we do? The only hope is to be found in Christ. That's the only hope. It's to be with him. It's to have him as Lord and Savior. It's to be found in him with our sins forgiven and reconciled to God through his finished work on Calvary's tree. Amen.